There's an old saying uh, about learning something from a book. It's been said, I know it so well, I've read it backwards and forwards. Well, we're going to do just that. We're not going to read the text backwards, but we're going to continue to go backwards from the book of Revelation. We did the book of Jude. Now we're going to look at 3 John uh, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 3 John. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and James is up with brand new Bibles. They just came in yesterday. So brand new Bibles for you if you want to or need a Bible this morning. Matthew's up too. There you go. That's right. Get it to the youth. Gabe and Aaron are on vacation. I'm praying they're God's blessing on them. And so we got the youth upstairs. So watch out, you guys. No. <laughs> Front row, I kind of spray sometimes when I talk. So just be careful, all right? So we're going to start in Third John. I had a friend ask me, how's that going to work starting in Third John and going backwards? I said, I don't know. I've never done it before. So <laughs> we're about to find out. So Third John, let's go ahead and read the text and then we'll, uh, we'll pray. First one, the elder... To the beloved guys whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. The title of my message this morning is, What Manner of Person Are You? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. We thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for uh, teaching us, Lord, your word, bringing out verses, bringing out things that we need to hear that would change us and draw us closer to you and our relationship with you. Lord, we do pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning, would you especially speak to their hearts? Lord, help them to come to know you as Lord and as Savior. So we ask that you bless our time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This last week, I started thinking about all the conversations that we're having nowadays, all the things we talk about kind of day in and day out, and the same subject pretty much came over, came, came up over and over and over again. Pandemic. COVID. And should you or should you not get the poke? Now, I call it the poke because I heard if we say the other word, that means a chemical injection in humans used to prevent diseases, 
you can figure it out, that we will be censored. I, I don't know how that works, but I've heard that. So, But I think a lot of reasons we talk so much about it is because there's so many opinions about it, strong opinions about well, I'm for the Pope. Well, I'm against the Pope. I said Pope first service. I, I, did that. I don't mean Pope. Pope. Listen, I'm not telling you what you should do when it comes to the Pope. But what I can say is that the way those who choose not to get the Pope are being victimized, penalized, ostracized, demonized, and terrorized, it's wrong. You know, I thought we had a lot of the conflicts, family conflicts going on over the election and those who was going to vote for Trump and, and those who weren't. But, but we've taken conflict to an all-new level when it comes to dealing with COVID-19 and the poke. I would say that mandating people to take it is absolutely wrong, as well as restricting people who haven't taken it from the activities of everyday life are also absolutely wrong. But here's my point. This is all we talk about. Day in and day out, that's all we're talking about. I don't think a day goes by without it not coming up in conversation. And it's a distraction from the things that we as Christians should be talking about. From the things that matter most. We should be sharing the gospel, living lives that please the Lord, not being argumentative, demeaning, and divided. Listen, Satan's plan all along has been to divide and conquer. And he's doing a very good job at it in the times we're living. So the question I have this morning with all this going on around us is, what kind of example are we to be to the world around us? The better question is, what manner of person ought we to be living in the times in which we're living? You see, manner is the key word. Webster's defines it as this, the way that a person normally behaves, especially while around other people. You see, and yet what truly matters is what manner of person you want to be. And that's the subject we're going to look at this morning, uh, John, third John. You know, it's, it's not unusual for people to wonder what manner of person was involved in the early church. What were they like in the early church? We know of the leaders. You know, we've read about them, uh, you know, Peter, Paul, John, we, you know. But what were the average Christians about then? Were they more spiritual than we are today? Did they experience the same kind of problems that we face today or that we see so often in churches? You know, several books of the New Testament reflect the life of the early church. This is especially true of Third John. Now, it's a private letter between the Apostle John and a Christian man named Gaius. It provides portraits of three different men, and in so doing, it gives us a glimpse of first century life in the local church. And we find as we look at this letter that there's not much different from them as we are today. So this epistle is very relevant, though it's some 2,000 years later. Now with that said, John is writing a letter about three people that are addressed in these 14 short verses. If you're a note taker, we're going to see number one, an encourager, number two, an egotist, and number three, an example. Our first guy is Gaius, and he's number one and encourager. Look at verses one and two. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So John begins by introducing himself as the elder. Now, he was an elder in the sense of an elder in the church, but more than that, John was in his 90s. And yet he's still going strong. 
There's a lot to be said for the wisdom that comes from guys and, and ladies that have been in the ministry a very long time and, and to be able to glean off of some of the things that they have learned, their, their faith experiences, their life trials, the way God has moved in their lives. Uh, to hear that is encouraging to the younger generation. So John said, this is from the elder. This is from the old guy. He says, to the beloved Gaius. Now this is the same John who at one time wanted to bring fire down from heaven to destroy a people. I love that this ex-hothead, this ex-fisherman, starts this letter with, I love you, man. I mean, that's what he's saying here. And it's obvious that that his heart has been so touched and so transformed by Jesus Christ that God's love is a central part of his life. And now he wants to let Gaius know just how much he loves him and appreciates him. So he calls him uh, the beloved Gaius. I like that word. It's used, uh, the word beloved is used in the New Testament uh, of a person who has a unique relationship of faithfulness to the Lord. It's more than a greeting, more than a surface kind of relationship. It's a special relationship. When God spoke about Jesus. It was, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's the same love that God has for you and I. We are called the beloved. God loves us that way. And then John says of Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So this immediately tells us that Gaius was a man of sound doctrine. Man who loved the word of God. And then John prays for him in verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now that's an interesting verse. Because if you don't know this, this is the favorite catch verse for the health and wealth, name it and claim it group, blab it and grab it. They're still out there today. Faith teachers, prosperity teachers, people like Joel Olstein, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes, Benny Hinn, Creflo Dollar, just to name a few. These teachers will take this verse and quote it completely out of context. They'll look at it and say, well, verse 2 is a proof text that Christians should always enjoy wealth and in perfect health, that Christians, true Christians should never be sick. They should walk in perfect healing 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 12 months out of the year. But what they, they either willingly neglect or just by the fact that they don't understand Bible interpretation is number one, This was simply a common greeting that John used when he wrote this epistle. He wasn't saying that every Christian would always be healthy and wealthy. And then number two, understand that this is not a principle here, but it's a prayer. John says, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. I love that. I pray that you're healthy. Not telling them how to be healthy, but praying for his health. You know, most of us are not doctors. But I think we've all been playing one lately in real life lately. Well, here's what I think. You should, you should get the poke because X, Y, and Z. Or you should not. Or, or here's what you should do. And, and well, my experience, and, and, and we've all been playing doctors. But here, here's my point. We may not be a doctor, but we know the greatest doctor ever. The, the greatest physician. Uh, the greatest because he's the one who created you. I mean, who knows more about the human body than the one who created it? And you don't have to wait for hours in the waiting room to be seen by him. You can get in right away. 24-hour access. He's always on call. But why is it then, when we get sick, 
we don't go to him first and ask for help. Well, I've gone to this doctor and I've gone to that doctor and, and, and I'm really not getting an answer and I guess all I could do now is pray. How about we pray first, seek the Lord, Lord, would you heal me? Uh, ask for prayer and, and see if the Lord would lead you to a doctor. Maybe the Lord wants to use a doctor in healing you, but seek the Lord first. In fact, we're instructed to do that in James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. I think one of the tragedies of COVID-19 is as a pastor not being able to go into hospitals and pray for the sick. It's horrible. You know, they say, well, we have our chaplain. Yeah, but... They're not a part of our fellowship. They, they, they don't go to our church. We want to go in and pray for them. Oh, I'm sorry. We can't allow that to happen. Listen, this is what God has called us to do. Elders of the church to pray for the sick. But understand this. When it comes to our health, if we look to the Word of God, we will see that from time to time, when we face sessions of sickness in our lives, they actually draw us closer to our God. There are times like this that God wants to get our attention. And many times He'll use sickness just to do that. Because we all know that when we're feeling good and things are going well and we're in good health, we don't pay as much attention to the Lord as we should. But as soon as that sickness sets in, as soon as you get that pain, it's automatic. Oh Lord, maker of heaven and earth, friend of mine, great physician. I need this healing, Lord. Please help. Now, certainly, I think we all would like to see ourselves prosper financially. We all would like to see ourselves healthy. But using this particular verse as a proof text that God wants everyone healthy and wealthy, I struggle with that. I don't see it all at all. Because whenever we study the Word of God, we don't want to take a single verse out of context. But when we keep it in context, we hear the heart of God. We hear the heart of the writer. What's the heart of the writer? Well, if you read all these 14 verses, it's very clear. His heart's clear. He's actually commending this man, Gaius. Although he's very, very good and healthy spiritually, he would like to see his body and his finances as good as his spirit is. Now, I know this is just speculation, but quite possibly Gaius is not doing that well physically. Maybe he's got COVID-01. I don't know. Maybe as a result, he's not doing that good financially. But because he's doing so well spiritually, this, that was John's prayer. In other words, John is saying, Gaius, I just want you to know that I know your body isn't doing that well. You're not in the best of health. You're not in the best of shape financially. You're struggling. But what's a blessing for me to see, John says, is that right now you're doing so great spiritually. And I pray that your physical life does just as well as your spiritual life. That's my prayer. So I don't struggle with that. That makes sense to me in light of Scripture. Now, by the way, think of this for just a moment. Imagine if this prayer were prayed about us. I mean, if someone prayed, Tom, I pray you'd be just as strong and healthy physically as you are spiritually. Oh, no, don't pray that. Oh, no, I, 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 I pray something else. Because I wonder if we'd be dying physically weak and anemic or if we would be like guys, strong and vibrant. John prayed that Gaius' physical life would be as strong as his spiritual life. Now, did God answer that prayer? We don't know. But listen, it's a prayer. It's not a principle. 
And, and I'll say this, I've said it before, it's heresy for anyone to imply that those who are sick or those who are disabled lack faith or in sin or those who are poor are second-rate believers. You see, the great part about guys is though he may be struggling with his health, struggling with his finances, he is still glorifying God. He's still honoring God and blessing others around him. And I've seen people in our own fellowship do the same thing. Those in times of great illness and pain will, will minister to me and the elders as we pray for them. And we end up being blessed and ministered to because they're bringing glory to God through their pain, through their illness, through their sickness. Those who are struggling financially are doing all they can to minister and serve and bless other people in spite of their financial hardships. This is what Gaius was doing. But then John goes on further. Look at verse 3. He says, For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. It's an old saying that goes, God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. See here in verse 3, John is rejoicing in the fact that he's heard that guys not only had the truth that's in him, but he's walking in the truth. I've had people in the past come up to me and say, Tom, years ago I responded to an invitation you gave in a message to receive Christ, and I gave my life to the Lord, and then I came home and my wife came to know the Lord, and my, my kids came to know the Lord, and now I'm actually leading a Bible study in my own home, and I've been witnessing to different people. You know how blessed that makes a pastor feel? How blessed that makes you know, someone feel who's led that person to Christ. This was Gaius. He was probably one of John's converts and he was now growing consistently and had a steady walk with the Lord. Wasn't some mountaintop experience, one and done, he's out of there. No, he's growing. So when John heard of those growing in the faith, it blessed John. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You know, my kids ask me when it's my birthday time or Christmas, Dad, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? Same answer I've given them for years. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now I've added, I have no greater joy to hear that my grandchildren will be walking in the truth. That's my prayer. John keeps using that word truth. Truth, truth, truth. John and Gaius had this one thing in common. They both loved the Word of God. They were both a lover of the truth meditating on the Word of God day and night. The Scripture was their love. The guys walked personally, according to verse 3, in the truth. Others were testifying of his walk of truth with the Lord. People were coming out of that church going, you know that Gaius guy? He, he's such a blessing to me. He stands up for the truth. He's not afraid to speak it. He knows the Word. He's consistent in his walk. I read that and I go, man, could the same thing be said about you and I? What manner of persons are we? Are we the same? I love the saying that Pastor Bruce here has brought to our fellowship in his closing prayer many times when he has the opportunity to teach. He'll say, our goal is to know him better, to love him more, to walk in his ways, and to become more like Jesus. Well, the only way to know him better is to be in the Word. And as a result of you being in the Word, you're going to love him more. And the more you love Him, the more you're going to want to walk in His ways. And the more and more you begin to walk in His ways, before you know it, you're becoming more and more like Jesus. So here, John is saying, hearing about Gaius, here's his love for God's Word. It's brought him joy. But he takes it even a step further in verse 5. He says, Beloved, 
You do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who are born witness of your love before the church. I mean, what an encourager this guy must have been. John is commending the fact that he was a man of hospitality regardless of his health and financial situation. What did he do? Well, let me give you a little bit of a background story. In the, that day and that time, he didn't have the Hampton Inn, the Holiday Inns, the Hilton Inns uh, to spend the night at, uh, you know, uh, that they were somewhat safe from, and free from sin. No, you wouldn't do that because in that day, most motels were a place of immorality. And so because of that, the church encouraged uh, those to open up their homes for preachers that were going from city to city and from town to town so they wouldn't have to face any of that. Well, this is what Gaius did. Gaius made it well known that if you were an itinerant preacher and you wanted to stop by his house, even in this time of financial struggle and sickness, he would say, hey, come on in. You're all welcome. I don't even think he had them wear masks in his house. I'm just saying. But John is saying, this is so cool. I love you men so much because while you're going through what you're going through and dealing with this stuff, it hasn't stopped your gift of hospitality. You've opened up your home to, to brethren, he says in verse 5, and he says to strangers. I think that might be a little tough today for us. But listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, some of you new to the Scriptures might be saying, What? What's that? Do you mean I might have talked to an angel? Listen, the Bible teaches that when you open up your heart and your home to strangers, some people have unwittingly opened up their homes to angels. I think most of us, some of us maybe at least, have an angel story. You know, I, I think that was an angel. This happened. Uh, I may have entertained an angel. Here, here's what happened. I know I have some. But what did we just read? It says, if you did minister to an angel, you wouldn't know that it was an angel. That's kind of strange because if you think it was an angel, it probably wasn't. And if you didn't think it was, it probably was. It's funny. My son Joey and I, we were working at the church property last week and, and it started to pouring, pouring down rain. And this man came up along the steps and he's hiding under, or standing under the, the uh, covering there. And I said, come on inside, get away from the rain. And I'm talking to him and he's telling me he just needs a place to, to stay. He's trying to get to Victory Mission. So Joey and I picked him up and took him to, we thought it was Victory Mission, but it was the wrong place. And, and, but we turned away. I said, I don't think that's the right place, Joe. So he turned around to come back and he was gone. He wasn't there. I think, Joey, was it an angel? Do we miss an angel? Then he texted me and wanted to ride to church, and so I know that he wasn't um, an angel. And um, but 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 you never know. That's my point. You just never know. I mean, God may put someone in my path to test me, an undercover angel, just to see how I would react, to see if I'm hospitable when I get to heaven. I will then get a reward. The Bible says for what needed to be done. See, that to me is a win-win situation. So now we're all going to be looking for that new guy or new gal coming to the church. I wonder if that's an angel there, you know. Now, if you're a single guy and a cute girl comes in and you say, I must be in heaven because she looks like an angel. No, that's not the same thing, okay? No. But here's my point. In knowing this, the fact that we could be entertaining angels unaware, wouldn't that make you want to be even more hospitable? It should. But the point is, it shouldn't matter who it is. We need to be hospitable to all. Poked or not poked. 
masked or unmasked, Democrat or Republican, liberal or conservative, were to be hospitable to all. Next, notice verse 6, that Gaius was not just hospitable, but he was also helpful. Uh, he says, well, back to verse 5, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. Verse 6, who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well, because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. So guys, let an itinerant preacher stay in his house. He's got the gift of hospitality. Then he takes it a step further and actually so helpful that he sends the preacher on his way, helping him get to their next destination. See, he wasn't the type of guy that says, oh, you need help, here's five bucks. Good luck, see you later. No. He, he didn't take anything from the Gentiles. It says uh, uh, the non-believers. Rather, guys, help them personally. He sent them on their way. He forwarded them on their way. That was his heart. How can I get help to get someone from here to there is what he wanted to do. You know, the same thing may be for us here in the body of Christ. Maybe there's someone that has a hard time getting to church. Maybe they need a ride. Maybe, you know, the Lord lays it on your heart. Hey, I can help to get that person from there to here. I can help get them home. You know, help them out. Getting someone here and there physically. How about spiritually? You know, maybe there's someone in this room that perhaps has some Bible ignorance. And maybe you have some Bible insight. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord a long time and, and maybe they have some questions. Taking the time to share with them. I mean, is it really all that helpful just to keep all this to yourself? Isn't it better to sit down with that person, share with them, and help them in the areas they're struggling with, with their understanding? That's the picture we have of this man, Gaius. Now, in the clear contrast to Gaius, we have our next character. We go from an encourager to a real egotist. And that's point number two, diatrophies and egotists. Look at verses 9 and 10. John says, I wrote to the church. In other words, I wrote a letter before, but now notice it says, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Man, what a guy this is. I mean, who does he think he is? John says, I wrote to the church, and this guy, Diotrephes, man, he just threw everything I said away, threw it out the window. I mean, this guy, he's an egotist, is what he's saying. Oswald Sanders says this of egotism. Egotism is one of the repulsive manifestations of pride. It is the practice of thinking and speaking much of oneself, the habit of magnifying one's attainment or importance. It leads one to consider everything in its relation to himself rather than in relation to God and the welfare of his people. I shared this story before, but it's funny, about a young woman who went to her pastor and said, Pastor, I have this besetting sin and I need your help. I come to church on Sunday and I can't help thinking that I'm the prettiest girl in the congregation. I know I ought to not think that way, but I can't help it. I want you to help me with it. pastor replied, Mary, don't worry about it. In your case, it's not a sin. It's just a horrible mistake. <laughs> One author puts it this way. He writes, Pride is so subtle that if we aren't careful, we'll be proud of our humility. 
when this happens, our goodness becomes badness, our virtues become vices, we can easily become like the Sunday school teacher who, having told the story of the Pharisee and the publican, said, Children, let's bow our heads and thank God we are not like the Pharisee. Listen, every day we need to remind ourselves we are nothing without Christ. We humble ourselves and submit ourselves to others being careful not to become arrogant and prideful in our humility. And we need to surrender our egos and submit one to another in the spirit of surrender and Christ-likeness. I mean, think about the, the, the concept of humbleness in relationship to the people you live with, in relation to the people you work with, the maskers and the unmaskers. The, the poked and the unpoked. To have an honest evaluation of yourself. And this can be a real challenge. I read a story about a children's ministry worker that had her, her straight hair permed into this really curly style. One morning she noticed her, that a four-year-old Jack was usually cheerful, looked sad and bewildered. Something wrong, Jack? Jenny asked him. Your hair, he mumbled. Well, you noticed, said Jenny. I just had a perm and I love it. You do? Whispered Jack. Have you seen it? <laughs> See, in the same way we looked at guys as being uh, hospitable and helpful. Diotrephes, he's prideful. He's pratting. The complete opposite of Gaius. And John starts out with Diotrephes' pride. We read in verse 9 that he loves to have the preeminence and did not welcome John's visit at all. Verse 9, it says, John said, he does not receive us. Could you imagine not receiving the Apostle John? I mean, this is arrogance. Webster's defines preeminence like this, having paramount rank, dignity, or importance. So Diotrephes sees himself as superior and in need of notoriety. In other words, he's the type of guy, when he walks into the room, he demands attention. Everybody look at me. Here I am. Stop, take notice. Why? Because he thinks he should be preeminent. That he's the one everyone should be paying attention to and listening to. But see, it all boils back down to pride. John wanted to come out, the same John who walked with Jesus, same John who talked with Jesus, the same John who was told to take care of my mom from Jesus, the same John who anybody in their right mind would welcome their, them into their home just to glean some of his wisdom from him and experience from spending time with Jesus. But not Diotrephes. No, you're not welcome here, John. You, know, you make me look bad. And that's the reason that he finds himself not only prideful but also pratting. Verse 10 says he's pratting against us with malicious words. What a guy. That word prat means to talk on and on and on about something. One that goes on and on and on, talking about nothing over and over and over again. And you better not say that sounds like your pastor, you're in trouble. But, but here's my point. What John is saying, his diatrophies has been going on and on and on about John with malicious words. Just tearing him down and tearing him down. In other words, he's been making false accusations against a real leader in the name of lifting himself up as he puts someone else down. You know how sad that is? Listen, when it comes to the church and leadership within the church, God's word calls for respect. Writer of the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey those who rule over you 
and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for what for that would be unprofitable for you. I mean, here we have the leadership in place, none other than the Apostle John, yet Diotrephes has a struggle with that. He's rebelling against him and even going so far as just rejecting him altogether. He's choosing to reject the apostolic authority. And the scripture says when you do that, you're going to be judged. When you make false accusations against a real leader in the name of lifting yourself up, when you put someone down, uh, you're in trouble, you're in sin. The Bible, the bottom line, John would say to Diotrephes is, hey, if you don't <laughs> like the church, find another. Diotrephes, you leave. But to stay in the house of God where you don't respect the pastor or admire the leadership and just find yourself priding or find yourself prideful, sharing with your attitude of preeminence how you think things should be different, just going to bring judgment upon yourself. And that's what this guy was doing. Direct opposition to a letter that John sent, encouraging believers to open up their homes, uh, John was, and, and be hospital to the itinerant preachers coming into town. But the Autries were saying, if you do that, if you do what John says, I'm kicking you out of the church. Can you believe that? Well, that's what John says he did. And then the last half of verse 10, and not content with that, but he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. What a horrible picture this is. So John says, verse 10, Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does. You know, John, he was called the apostle of love. But I think there's still a little bit of leftover sons of thunder in him still. And I don't blame him. I think there's probably a pretty good thunderstorm, like what we just had, <laughs> when John arrived in this church, because he said he's going to deal with atrophies. Then you might say, well, isn't John being just a little vindictive against him? I mean, he's like going to go get even with him? No, that's not what's happening here. John was a shepherd, and he loved the sheep, and he's protecting the sheep. And you need to protect the sheep against people like Diotrephes. And the best thing you can do is expose them publicly. And the sooner the better. Now you may think, well, that's a little bit hard to name names. Listen, if there's poison on my shelf in my garage, I want to put a sign on it. I want to clearly say, boy, you know, I want the, the cross and the, you know, the, the, the skull bones. You know, I wanted to, this is poison. Stay away from it. You know, don't, don't drink it. I'm not going to cover it up and put it with you know, my, my Pepsi and Coke and 7-Up. You know, you're not going to do that. You want people to know it's poison. And that's what John is doing. I love this church so much, but this man, this diatrophy, he's poison. He's prideful, he's priding, he's causing problems, kicking people out of the church that don't, don't agree with them. He says he needs to be exposed. And then John says this in verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Don't be like this man. Don't even imitate what he's doing. Don't be anything like him. But do what's good. I love that verse in the New Living Translation. Uh, verse 11 says, Dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children, and those who do evil prove that they do not know God. So this is an encouragement from John to Gaius to keep doing good. He's emphasizing that the one who practices righteousness is a child of God. The one who doesn't is not a child of God. This brings us to our final person, a man named Demetrius. 
what manner of person is he? Well, he's an example. Now, point number three, we had guys who's hospitable and helpful. Diotrephes, a man who's prideful and prating. Demetrius, he's an example. Look at verse 12. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself, and we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. Now, how much can you really say about this guy, Demetrius, when you really don't have much written about this guy, Demetrius, except for the fact that it says he had a good testimony? Well, what else did he do? Well, it doesn't say. Well, how do we know? Well, because it's not there. How can we know? Well, here's the thing we do know. His name. It made it in the Bible. In a good way. I mean, he's in third John for all to see, for all to read for, for century after century. And, and it says Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. That's a great legacy to leave. And let me say this. You know, there are a handful of folks in the body of Christ that are like Demetrius. Who would ask, hey, what do, you, what do you think about Demetrius? You would say, man, what don't I like about that guy? What don't I like about that girl? Man, there's, there's all, everything that they do, whatever they help out, whenever they can, wherever there's a need, they're there. Demetrius is that kind of guy, when he walks up, he's ready to help wherever, and he just does it without being asked. I mean, if his picture was in the dictionary, underneath it would say, great guy, you know. And I would have to say, folks, we have a whole lot of Demetriuses and Miss Demetriuses and Mrs. Demetrius in our church. Men and women that love the Lord so much, they just want to bless people in whatever way they can. They just want to serve wherever they can. We're so blessed. Demetrius had that kind of, uh, was that kind of guy that showed up for church ready to serve and was excited about doing it. It wasn't drudgery. Folks, listen, as we close, we've been talking about the manner of persons we are in these days of conflict and arguing and frustration with all the things going on in the world. That's the world. We're not of this world. See, John was writing, verse 12, here about us. In other words, if John was writing to Calvary Chapel an email, when he got to verse 12 and he put your name there instead of Demetrius, would that fit? Would we fit in that? Would we fit in the other guys? The guys had the manner of an encourager. Would that be us? Oh, I want to be that encourager. Diotrephes, the manner of an egotist. Or Demetrius had the manner of a real example. Hopefully we're an encourager and a real example. Finally, verse 13 and 14. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with a pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Don't you just love talking to someone face to face? I get so tired of emails and texts. It's like, oh, there you are. I got so much to say. Oh, let me just call you. You know, do FaceTime. Something I can see you face to face to talk. That's what John's heart here just wanted to encourage him. But we see differences between people and the church. It's just the way it is. You know, some who grow, some who are hospitable, and those who don't, who are closed, who are haughty and proud like diatrophies. Listen, never be content where you're at. Never reach a plateau and say, I've grown as much as I need to grow. I've read through the Bible once. That's all I need to do. Nope. You know, we need, in a sense, a healthy dissatisfaction that would cause us to pursue the Lord with all of our hearts. David, who walked with the Lord uh, for years, said in Psalm 42.1, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Finally, when it comes to dealing with those in the world, in this whole pandemic and poke thing, we have the real cure. 
It, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead of arguing why or why not you should get the poke, how about poking them with the gospel instead? How about stirring up love to, and good works to one another? It's so easy for us to, 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 to lose focus and to be distracted as to what really matters. What matters is the gospel. That God came down to save man from their sin. Jesus willingly gave his life for ours. Died on the cross. Three days later rose from the grave. So that all who put their faith and trust in him can be forgiven of sin. And given new life and the promise of heaven and eternity. Why would you not want to share that? So important in our church today that we remember how powerful and how purposeful and how important the gospel is. Because the gospel is a promise. It's a good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the message that the world needs to hear. That's what we need to be talking about. That's what needs to be in our conversation more than all this other stuff. As we close, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, if you don't know Him, I pray that you would come to know Him this morning. You'd make that commitment to follow Him, to repent of your sin, give your life to Him. If you want to do that as soon as service is over, please come up and talk with me. I'd love to pray with you, give you a Bible, let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this time this morning. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that we can see ourselves from your word and the examples that you've given of people in your word. And help us to be that good example, Lord. Help us to be those that aren't prideful. Or, or, Lord, help us to be those that are humble and not proud of our humility, Lord, but, but true humility. Lord, help us to be like, like Gaius. Just men and women of your word who love your word. Love to follow, Lord, you. And finally, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you. They're not born again today. Lord, would you especially touch their lives. Help them to see their need for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand.